Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Powering through now with a cold that I seem to have picked up when I was in Miami last week, teaching the class at the University of Miami. Now dealing with this cough and congestion, but I'll power through, try to make it too not, not too nasally for you. The music you hear is my son, Sam Brandt, who produced by Brian Neal. And we're presented by Bet Online AG, your online sportsbook experts. Of course, they're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use that promo code PODCAST1. Get that 50% sign-up bonus today, betonline.ag. I'm going to do some rants. Haven't done that in a couple weeks or a few weeks. The Brant's Rants edition of the Business of Sports. Obviously, some football with a lot going on there as we transition to the championship games. Some personal thoughts on the Packers being in it, uh, which obviously will increase if the Packers are also in the Super Bowl. Talk about Luke Keekley and... Obviously, we'll transition to the baseball, Major League Baseball, dealing with a massive cheating scandal uh, orchestrated by the, I'm sorry, orchestrated by the Houston Astros for quite a time with tentacles existing all over the place. We'll get to that in a minute. My first rant is, first of all, a follow-up to the coaching decisions. Uh, I talked about this with Joe Banner on the podcast last week. Quick things. Number one on Dallas Mike McCarthy, who I hired 14 years ago, I was one of the people that were in the group that hired him in Green Bay. Two things that were uh, outstanding to me in the search was that two teams called me, neither one of them the Cowboys, so he had some interest. And it was clear that Mike wanted to coach, not worry about personnel, not worry about scouting, not worry about cap management, perfect for the Cowboys and the Jones family. These teams all asked him, as I'm sure the Cowboys did, about a relationship with Aaron. I've said it before. What I saw there was a close relationship with Aaron as a young quarterback developing him. It obviously changed over the years. It became stale, not frayed, but I think stale, and that's not uncommon for relationships that last that long. don't think there's anything to worry about there. The one thing I will say about um, Mike is that I just think that he had a rough year, you know. I lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin, not affiliated with the Packers for a few months. It's not easy. You know, that team knows everyone. Everything's involved with the Packers, especially if you used to work for the Packers. Mike had young children there. His wife is from Green Bay. I feel for him. So I'm glad he gets out of Green Bay now and goes to Dallas, and they needed that. They personally needed that. He needed to coach. He needed to get out of Green Bay. I... Had enough of the NFL after nine years and moved on to other things. Coaches, I think, are different. It's in their blood. They want to coach, and they probably want to coach at the highest level. So, again, tough for Mike personally. I'm glad he's out of that into Dallas. In terms of the Giants and Panthers, dealing with them collectively, they were both after Matt Rule. Matt Rule had extraordinary leverage. He was one of those like a free agent player. Went to one place on the way to the next place. The first place boxes him in. And makes the deal. And that seems to be what happened. Although it seems like Rule picked the Panthers over the Giants. You have a billionaire owner who's not only a billionaire but seems to be into allowing for different things. Understands there's a salary cap for players but not for other expenses that could give an edge. And I'll talk about an edge more when I get to the Astros. But they give an edge on spending on sports science, spending on data, spending on analytics, spending on coaches, spending on extra people to help your team get ready. Why not? If you got the money and you want to be successful, you spend it. Now, from an outsider's view, the Giants are a bigger name brand than the Panthers. The Giants have a better quarterback situation and up-and-coming Daniel Jones versus 
in flux situation with Cam, Cam Newton's injury and not knowing about Kyle Allen. So we'll see what happens. But Matt Rule is there. They're going to spend money. I think he'll be successful. As Joe Banner talked about, this guy was successful at Temple, which never won, was successful at Baylor, which had a lot of off-field issues, and now he gets a program at the highest level with the highest income owner besides, uh, I guess, the Kroenke family and the Allen family. So good for him. In terms of the Giants, Joe Judge, who knows? Uh, I, like everyone, like Joe and I talked about, had to Google the name. We'll see if it comes. I don't know. Not much to say about Judge. I uh, don't wasn't that impressed at the press conference because it was all platitudes and cliches, and anyone can say that. So we'll see how it goes with the Giants. I know they got a lot of work to do there. As for the final team, the Browns, I talked a lot about them. I wrote about it. I talked about it on the podcast. Seems like they have picked the lane of analytics. Kevin Stefanski was a favorite of Paul DePodesta, the analytics senior executive. Not once, but twice, they finally got their man. And I hope, as I keep saying, pick the lane, and the lane is analytics or statistical quantitative analysis. Great. Go with it and go all in and get the GM that buys in, just like the coach, and that'll be good. So I'm glad they've done that. I'm glad the Browns have gone all in. I supported the Browns when they went to the analytical model. Then they hired Freddie. <coughs> Hugh Jackson. They hired Freddie Kinchins. They hired John Dorsey. None of those fit the analytical model. So we have a lot of that going on when you talk about who's going to be successful. The Browns may be successful. They may not be successful, but they picked a lane and good for them. That's my first rant. My second rant of the week is about Luke Keekley. He retires at age 29, eight seasons in the NFL, all of them stellar, Pro Bowl player, one of the best inside linebackers in the history of the game, maybe a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he, he walks away, and it was a very heartfelt, uh, emotional social media trip post he put out there the other night. I feel for him. He almost felt that what he was going through was, hey, I know I can play, I think I can play, I want to play, but I just can't. Maybe there were doctors involved, maybe there were trainers involved, maybe there were health professionals involved, maybe the girlfriend and the family were involved, but that's the decision. And I see him, like Andrew Luck, like Gronkowski, like Calvin Johnson, in the class of eight, nine years, and like seven, eight, nine years, and like, okay. On to the next. And people say these are early retirements. They're not early retirements. These are not early retirements. So let's get that out of the lexicon. Early retirements are like Chris Borland, the player who played at Wisconsin, then went to the 49ers, played one, count them, one season, and then he was on to the next chapter of his life. That's an early retirement. But seven, eight, nine years, you know, the average career is three and a half, so that's double, all of them. Each of them have their own story, uh, you know, with Gronk, of course, Andrew Luck's story. A lot of them has to deal with pain. A lot of them have to deal with rehab. A lot of them have to deal with not wanting to deal with that anymore. And they've also made a lot of money, which puts them in a different category with their financial security going forward. But I think the thing that with Keekly you have to understand is He's on to the next, and whatever his life takes, it might be coaching, it might still be in football, but he had a career. He had a great career. He had a Hall of Fame career, and a Hall of Fame career doesn't have to be 15, 20 years. 
And if anything comes out of this, I don't think we're at a trend because only one or two of these a year, but if anything does come out of it, I think we readjust our thinking on career length. In other words, you get the Brett Favre's and Peyton Manning's and Tom Brady's that play 20 years, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I, all the people I just mentioned are quarterbacks, and they don't get hit like these players. They don't get hit like tight ends. They don't get hit like middle linebackers. They don't get hit like wide receivers or running backs. You know, running backs always, those the career lengths are imposed on them, and that brings up my point. 99% of NFL players are retired. They don't retire. They are retired, involuntarily cut. And they move on to the rest of their life involuntarily, only hoping that someone, quote-unquote, unretires them. These players are the chosen few. They're the elite. They leave on their own terms, ready to look back. And this idea that they'll come back, I don't think any of the ones I mentioned will come back. I don't think Gronk comes back. I know Andrew Luck won't come back. And I don't think uh, Keekley comes back. I really don't. This is where we are. They play an eight, nine-year career. It's a lot of wear and tear. It's a lot of pain. And they're 30. I always say to players, football or any sport professionally, especially football, it's not a career. It's not a career. It's a head start on a career. They have 50 years of life left. 50 years of life. Go do something else. Now they're financially secure. And it may be hard adjusting, but the adjustment's probably easier at 30 than it is at 35 or at 40 or at 45. So I commend Luke Keekley for walking away when he did. I hope it was all in his mind to do so. I hope it was all about him. And that's where we are. Uh, good on him. Good on Gronkowski. Good on Andrew Luck. Good on Megatron. Good on Patrick Willis. Football is not necessarily something you need in your life. So many players, I wish they played seven, eight, nine years in the NFL. They couldn't. And again, my last point on this, when we talk about seven, eight, nine years, that's just NFL, right? Four years of college, some of them two, three years of college, four years of high school, three, four, five years before that. So all of this pounding, and I don't want to make it all about concussions and all about CTE worries and risk of that. It's also the body itself. And it's also just the feeling of doing something else. Again, I get back to me bringing myself in. Nine years was enough for me. That's a career. That's a length. It's time to do something else. And I, I just get the feeling these guys are like, all right, I've been the grind. The NFL's a grind. It's like being in a submarine for six, seven months and uh, enough. Enough. So good on Luke Keekley. For those of you who don't know, Major League Baseball, the Astros caught with a sign-stealing scheme <clears throat> that basically had a camera in center field and relaying to the replay booth, and then players would either hear bats or there's something even about a, a wire on their chest. I mean, it becomes it becomes very sinister the more you read about it. Major League Baseball suspends the GM and the coach, gives a huge fine, first-round draft picks, etc. The owner then fires the coach and the general manager. This is a massive scandal, but tentacles going out further. The, new, the recent coach of the Red Sox was part of the scheme at the Astros. The new coach at the Mets was part of the scheme at the Astros. 
They're now both gone. We don't know where this will lead next. We don't know what the next iteration of this is going to be. Uh, it's not going to be pretty. So what do I think of it? I, I think we have a fundamental issue in sports about cheating. And I see people come out and, you know, say, well, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're mad at the whistleblower. You know, this is a woman on ESPN. We're black, mad at the whistleblower. It's not the right way to do it when not much was said about the cheating itself. You know, in baseball, it has a culture of cheating. It's sort of the sign stealing is allowed if it's manual, if it's old-fashioned, if it's uh, old school, but not new school. That's really where we are. So I look at it and say, yeah, they need to do that. The commissioner needed to come down hard. People don't think he came down hard enough. There's a feeling about the Astros that they're invincible, that they have arrogance, that they can do whatever they want to do, and now they've been struck down. This is every bit as big a deal as Deflategate and certainly more or Spygate, both of them combined. And it's getting the attention, even though NFL dominates everything, it's getting a major attention as it should. Because, listen, a commissioner, Commissioner Manfred, Goodell, Bettman, Silver, it's all about the integrity of the game. And if the integrity of the game is upset, they've got to do something about it, and here's what they did. Do we as a populace lose faith in baseball with this if it's unchecked? That's a good question. Steroids were allowed to exist with a wink-wink for 10 years. And Barry Bonds <clears throat> and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire walking around with these Paul Bunyan arms. Everyone kind of knew, but hey, chicks dig the long ball. People are hitting home runs. It's all good. And again, this is the same kind of thing. The Astros are doing well. There's a great story. Young players, farm system, were bad for a while. Now they're good. This whole idea of analytics and starting in Moneyball and starting from the bottom and building back up and, and signature players like Correa, like Springer, etc. Well, Altuve, I don't know. I just think that we're conflicted. I'm conflicted. I'm not that conflicted. I think cheating is wrong. We can't allow cheating. But then in what is cheating? I think everyone in sports, a player, coach, team, they want an edge, right? We all want an edge. I do my little triathlon races. I want an edge. Is it an edge in biking or triathlon when someone's you're racing against someone with a $25,000 bike and you've got a $5,000 bike? I guess not. Is it an edge in free agency in football when we're flying guys in, free agents on puddle jumpers from Chicago or Milwaukee, and other teams are flying private planes. I don't know. I guess not. Is it an edge when, you know, again, I just mentioned David Tepper, these teams in the NFL are spending millions of dollars on sports science and some others aren't? Yeah, that's an edge. Is it a allowable edge? I suppose so. <clears throat> Is it an edge when some players, you know, altitude their whole house at 10,000 feet, so they basically altitude train when they sleep? Yeah, that's an edge. Allowable edge? Yeah. Steroids are illegal, but what about taking, what about drinking coffee, uh, three cups of coffee before the game starts? Okay, allowable, yeah, caffeine, okay. So everyone's looking for these edges, and what's allowed? As far as the stealing, I just said it. Sign stealing in baseball goes on manually, old school. It's kind of, you know, you throw pitches at, at batters that show up, show you up after a home run. Allowed. If it gets a little, if it gets off the chains, you know, the umpire gets involved. But what is that? 
You know, where's the line there? Throwing at the pitcher, throwing at the batter's head, throwing at his body, throwing at his butt, throwing at his legs. You know, where's the line in basketball? Don't call fouls on star players. Don't call traveling on star players. Let another player, not, not even in the play, take a foul. And that's cheating from the officiating end. Uh, again, <clears throat> we're all figuring out what's the proper line and what should be disciplined over the line. I think a sign-stealing scheme that we talk about the Astros, that's clearly over the line. Is there more going on in baseball that reaches the line? Probably. Is there more going on in baseball that goes over the line? Probably. And now with digital technology, with biometric data, with all kinds of data, it's only going to get worse. I don't have an answer here. I'm just bringing up the fact that A, the Astros got what they reap what they sowed. B, there are probably others out there. And C, this is not going to brush under the rug, baseball. You know, it's all it's all out there. So what is going to happen now when you have this going on at an endemic level? Uh, you know, do we even think the Astros it will stop? It was kind of a culture of the Astros. So is, is it was part of a culture of the Red Sox, at least if that manager brought it from the Astros or the Mets manager brought it from the Astros. Okay. Do we think they're outliers? Probably not. You know, probably not. And whatever goes on in football, you know, we see time, we see timekeepers run off clock at home stadiums. I mean, again, it's just kind of what's allowed. Uh, the slippery slope thing is, is just fascinating to me in sports, individual sports too. Like, where is the line? And does the line get moved? And will the line continue to move with new technologies? That's just just a fascinating thought to me. Okay, I'll leave it at that and get to the final rant <clears throat> about LSU winning the championship. Uh, unfortunately for them, we got these two stories coming out afterwards. Number one, both of them involving <laughs> former LSU player, not any part of the current team, of course. Odell Beckham Jr., he comes to the game. He's obviously a favored guest on the LSU sideline. And then after the game, he's handing out money to players, which has been called fake bills. And we come to find out from the one and only Joe Burrow, whose eligibility is done, that they're real money. So LSU comes out with a statement, which basically says, you know, we're going to rectify this, which to me means the student-athletes are remaining eligibility. We'll have to give back the money either, I don't know, to Odell or to the university, trying to get past that. And Odell, uh, his detritus is left again where he's in the locker room and he pats or slaps the butt of a security guard at the Superdome. And that's making the rounds. It's going to be assault charge, whatever it's going to be. And, of course, we have a statement from the Browns, the typical statement. We're aware of it. We're looking into it, which means, as I always translate, that they're pissed. So... I don't know. I just think that if I'm the Browns, put myself in the front office, it's one of those roll your eyes moments. Like, what are we dealing with here? Obviously, you're going to defend the player. You're going to immediately talk to the agent. And you're going to defend the player, especially if it's obviously a star player you want to keep with. But at some point, 
you have to be the bad guy. I don't think Odell Beckham has dealt with a lot of bad guys in his life in terms of telling him what he doesn't want to hear rather than what he needs, what he, sh he wants to hear. And I think the Browns have to do that. Now we have a new coach. We're going to have a new general manager. I would not be shocked if Odell Beckham is moved for the second time in two years. And I think the story of the offseason in 2019 was the Steelers and Giants getting rid of Brown and Beckham at great cost to them because they felt they were better off with, without them than with them. Star receivers, star players, their best players in some ways. And listen, I don't want to be one of those okay boomer. I don't want to be the old man here. But I'm just looking at maintenance. And some of this was Antonio Brown. Like, we don't need this. Now, you tolerate, okay, greater talent, greater tolerance. You tolerate it for Odell Beckham. But a lot of you is thinking, you know, we don't need this. You know, what is this? So I, I, I think the odds are against it. I think it's less than 50-50. But it's much closer to 50-50 than it was a week ago. I just think that the odds, I, I would not be shocked if Odell Beckham is moved to a second team in two years. I would not be shocked. That'll do it. <laughs> you got all my rants uh, for this week. Brant's Rants Edition. Excuse the cold. Now a word from our sponsor. And that's Bet Online. And this is it. The NFL playoffs and the championship games. So great to see my Packers. Yes, I'm still a fan. Yes, I'm excited about it. Yes, I'd love to see Aaron back where the uh, 49ers passed on him at the number one pick in 2005. And of course, 20 other teams passed on him along the way to give us free rights to him at 24, which is a pick no one liked, but it worked out okay. But um, And it's just great to see the Packers back in it. You know, they could pull this off. I think they can. Obviously, everyone loves the 49ers in this, but it's not going to be a blowout like it was last time. Look for the Packers to make this close, exciting. Uh, so excited for the Packers in this, as my kids are. So we have it this weekend. We have the big games, obviously, between the 49ers and the Packers and the Chiefs and the, and the uh, Titans. Titans are no joke. I mean, don't sleep on the Titans. That is a physical, demanding, well-coached, fundamental team. But we also got basketball. We got NBA. Obviously, we got... Um, college basketball going on. It's all there for Bet Online. So visit our good friends, our exclusive partner, Podcast One, Bet Online. Take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. Make sure you use that promo code Podcast One for your 50% sign up bonus. That's Podcast One for your 50% sign up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really appreciate Brian Neal, our producer, Sam Brandt, uh, the interstitial music. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brand and appreciate any comments, rankings you can give us on Apple Podcasts. Those are always appreciated wherever you hear your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.